everyone. Welcome to Group Text. My guest today is a repeat offender and not the kind he usually investigates in his many true crime specials. Tony Harris is back for a second visit to Group Text. He is an exceptional journalist who has been pursuing the truth for decades on CNN, Al Jazeera, and most recently, and that's why we're here, Casey Anthony's Parents, The Lie Detector Test, airing now on A&E. This is a fascinating look into the case that gripped us all. Who's telling the truth? Who's lying? Tony, welcome back to Group Text. So good to see you. How are you? And Happy New Year. I don't know when this was, will air and, and be made available to folks, but I'm still saying Happy New Year. Yes, and same to you. So this special brought back the many twists and turns of the Casey Anthony murder case. So for people who don't remember, refresh their memories about the Casey Anthony case. June 16th, uh, 2008 was the last time anyone saw Kaylee, uh, Casey's daughter, alive. And then there was a period of 31 days when no one knew where anyone was, right? I mean, um, Casey had not made a point of informing police that her daughter was missing. Cindy, her mother, was desperate to find her granddaughter, and she wasn't getting what she felt were straight answers from her daughter, Casey. Um, George was doing his bit to try to find his granddaughter, who, you know, he who he felt, you know, kind of hung the moon for him in his life. Right. So there were no answers that anyone felt made sense coming from Casey. She was clearly lying to the authorities and and had done that for 31 days. Um, after the disappearance of the baby. And then it was five months later when the remains were found, not a quarter mile, certainly not a half mile, but I don't think it was even a quarter mile from the family home. Um, the, the baby had been placed in a garbage bag and, you know, it was badly just, the, the body had obviously decomposed and the body was found essentially in a swampy area. It was, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And from that point on, we've got you know, all kinds of allegations and, and suggestions that Casey is, is responsible. And there was a trial um, in 2011. And she was acquitted. And she was acquitted. And she was she was only found guilty of lying to the authorities, which, you know, had the effect of obscuring the investigation. So, you know, uh, that's the that's essentially the run, the frame of the story around the disappearance and, and the death and the trial of uh, Casey Anthony for the death of her daughter, Kaylee. We fast forward without her saying much about the case and he engages Peacock and they agree to do a docu-series together where she's essentially leveling the most heinous accusations against her father that he abused her for years, starting at the time when she was eight years old and then strongly suggesting that he also sexually molested her daughter, Casey, uh, Kaylee, sorry, Kaylee. So, you know, it's just a- accusation after accusation. And, and finally, I think George and Cindy had had enough and decided, look, we, we need to figure out a way to defend ourselves. They reached out to a production entity, uh, York and Wilder, that they had worked with before. And the next thing you know, we're doing, uh, we're sitting down to have this conversation and to move the story forward, which, you know, is what we try to do, Melissa. We, you know, the, it was George and Cindy's idea, I believe. I'm not sure how this all came together, but the idea of a lie detector, a polygraph exam, um, was floated. It was agreed to. They were willing to do whatever they felt they could outside of, of a courtroom because there was there were, there were no charges, right? So how do you defend yourself if there's not a court case in which you can take the stand and defend yourself? So they agreed to the polygraph exam. I think they actually wanted to do it, and um, they were 
at least familiar with. And Cindy was actually kind of a fan of The Proof is Out There, the show that I do for the History Channel, and agreed to, you know, have me be the person to come in and, and conduct the interview. And I spent four days with them, and it was it was a complete pressure cooker for those four days. So it's a fascinating documentary. Um you got access to these two people. They both agree to take lie detector tests on camera in response to the accusations that right. had been leveled against them. Um, obviously, they needed, felt they needed to refute them. One of the things that you do in the special is you sit with them to watch the special from Peacock that Casey did. Yeah. Where she leveled all these allegations. And yeah. it is... They'd never watched it before, which I understood why. How wrenching was it to sit in the room? Not only, obviously, you had parents and you are a parent. Yeah. Well. I mean, that had to be wrenching. Is is It was as, as difficult a thing as I've been involved in. And, and you know, um, thank you for mentioning the past work. I mean, I've been really blessed. You know, working with CNN and working with Al Jazeera at the time of the um, the Arab Spring, right in 2011. So for me, it was interesting. I I was not as up on the case as a lot of people who followed it from day one to day whenever. Right uh, in 2008, when the story broke, I was working for CNN Domestic and I was deep into McCain and Obama. That campaign it was an election year. 2011, as I mentioned, I was overseas in the Middle East covering the Arab Spring, so I missed the trial as well. So for me to get the assignment and then have to do the, you know, the research work was really compelling and, and really difficult. And uh, seeing the pressure that that George and Cindy were under at that time, bring it forward to these accusations and their need to respond to it. And I, and I get it. We're at a, at a time now where in this country, you know, um, you, you really can't let allegations of that nature go unresponded to. Right. We're in a place where we're, you know, we're responding to everything. But you can't let allegations that that heinous and that powerful go unchecked, right? And so they decided they didn't want to do it. And so they hadn't watched the special, as you mentioned. And, and so we're watching it together. And it was it was insane. I mean, it was a pressure cooker. I was with them for four days in that house. And it's a modest house in the Orlando area. And it's it's a bit of a shrine, kind of a museum to the family that has disintegrated, really. Right. So Kaylee's remains are in in the house and there are pictures everywhere, as you can see in the special, you know, kind of this tribute, the shrine, this museum to Kaylee and frankly, to Casey. Right. And it's the family, the daughter that they lost and the granddaughter that they lost. And um, and at various moments, it was interesting, kind of the physical interaction that that Cindy and I had. There were moments where she actually physically was grabbing me by the arm just to make me aware of the point that she had things she wanted to say and she wanted them heard, right? And that was part of her messaging to me throughout the four days that we were together. And, and then finally, I, you know, I, I reciprocate, right? So she she wants to feel like there's a real connection that we have when we're telling the story. So it was, it was so pressurized because at some point she says, look, the stakes are really high here. If, if the results don't turn out the way they expect them to, you know, uh, that opens up a whole other line of inquiry for George and Cindy. So it was it was completely pressurized. It was really difficult for me personally and, and, and forget about me personally. But just for a moment um, to sit in that environment for those four days, I, I had a kind of reaction to it. And I was angry and I was frustrated. And 
you know, I, I was hoping that we didn't lose Kaylee in the back and forth of the allegations. Right. right. Well, but wait, here's a quick question before you go on. A long time passed between yeah. the special where these allegations were made. I think over a to, year. Yeah. To now. So honestly, we all, until you mention Casey Anthony, you don't really think about the allegations. And we have very short memories yes. in this country yes. and attention spans. Why did they want to talk about it? It had sort of, everyone had kind of forgotten about it. So why are you going to bring this attention back onto yourself, especially about something that's so incredibly So, so Melissa, painful. that's a great question. That's a, that's a great question, Melissa. We're not here. We're not, the, the two of us, we aren't talking about this. I'm right. not in that pressure cooker for four days with them. Um, we don't have a special to discuss. We can talk about our lives, but we're not discussing right. this, if not for the fact that that Casey gets in front of cameras and says, my dad molested me from the time I was eight years old for a total of four years and multiple times a week, right? And and we're, we're not here if she doesn't say those, and, and she we're not here if she doesn't say, you know, he controlled everything. He controlled everything. So for those 31 days when I'm not responding to the authorities, it's because my dad is in my ear telling me how to handle every step of this. Right. So she's getting at, my dad is responsible for the most heinous things. My dad is involved in the concealment. And oh, by the way, my dad molested me. And I strongly believe that he molested my daughter. So we're not here talking about this, if not for the fact that she has leveled in front of camera in a, in a special that was widely viewed, right? Where they may not, the parents may not have watched it, but they heard about the allegations. So that's why we're here. They felt as though they could not just let this stand uh, any longer. And they had to, and it was really, I think, some kind of an attempt to, to do it for George. I think they both agreed that they wanted to do this for George because George had essentially cocooned himself. Right. And it's interesting because when you think about it, that's the special they're responding to wasn't so long ago. That's right. But again, in our world, in our everything world, goes so fast. I'm like, oh, geez, cycle, that, right? Right. That was only last year. That's right. Um, were you concerned? OK, I, I just want to roll back because it's such yeah. an interesting special. And I think one of the things that people and correct me if I'm wrong, are forgetting in all this is that Cindy Anthony, the mom and grandmother, is the one that called the police and famously said, my daughter's car smells like death. Yeah. Look, look, Melissa, they they aren't perfect in this, right? There are things that they did that I don't think they would do again. You know, the, the search on the computer that, that Cindy makes, right? For chloroform, chlorophyll, whatever. Um, I, you know, she kind of copped to that on the stand when everyone believes it was a search that was conducted by her daughter. Right. So they're not they're not perfect in everything they did in handling this case. There are real questions about the way George handled receiving the car, uh, describing it as decomposition, human decomposition, you know, and 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 not in a more prompt way, moving to police and discussing those concerns. Right. But in the critical moments, one of them is what you mentioned, the 911 call. That is Cindy. You know, and and the way that George testifies in the trial, but before the trial, 
the way he testifies before the grand jury about his questions and his doubts about the veracity of anything that his daughter is saying, you know, in the very key moments, I think they made the correct choices. They weren't perfect. There were things I think they would agree now they should have done differently. But in the key moments, I think they, they stepped forward and did things in George's case that meant that his daughter was being charged with a capital offense that could have seen her found guilty receiving the death penalty. And there's very little mention, but a little bit. There's a brother. Lee. Where is he in all of this? Talk about someone who's managed to keep away from it. I think I read somewhere. Did he change his name? I think he's a casualty in all of this. I think he's just right. a casualty. You know, he's collateral damage in all of this. And I, you know, he wasn't the focus of, of our piece, but I did have a couple of moments when I was able to sort of kind of glean what was going on there. And I think that that's part of the story that's sad as well, is that to the best of my knowledge, there isn't much of a relationship uh, between George and Cindy and their son, Lee, at this point. And I'm assuming I'm there's not, I'm, 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 I'm assuming there's not a relationship with Casey either. No, not at this point. But, but to that point, Cindy tried for longest to maintain a relationship with her daughter. She did. And, and what she says in the special, and, and you'll hear it is that she says, look, I was trying to, I was trying to essentially play along until she confessed. And she never did. But there's a moment where she's reading text messages, this exchange back and forth between mother and daughter. That's absolutely heartbreaking. Where oh, yeah, about going Kaylee's, on each other. Uh, I think besides, for arguing over Kaylee's remains. Yes. Or, yeah. Um, you know, we all from TV, we all think that when you take a lie detector test and you pass or you fail, it's the end all in the case. We know no. in real life that's not. There's too many variables. Yes. That's a good when point. You're, you know, when you're taking it, I couldn't imagine trying to take a lie detector test in the best of circumstances, let alone with cameras on me. Yeah. How how did they, especially oh. George, and then Cindy had to do it too, take that mental leap to honestly forget well, about the cameras and try and do this? Because they talk about with George fidgeting. I would be like, you know, fidgeting all, and they say, don't move your feet. I'm like, I, I mean, in the best of circumstances, I couldn't do that. Why take the risk of doing this on TV? Because he felt that the, that the absolute truth was on his side. That's why you do it. I mean, you don't do that televised and you don't do that. You don't agree to a polygraph exam with our examiner, George Olivo, who's just remarkable. Um, in, in terms of his technical knowledge around polygraph, in his years of training, former special agent for the FBI, trained in polygraph. Um, so you don't you don't take that step unless you absolutely believe that the truth is on your side. And even with that, to your point, you know, there were moments when George was was kind of fouling it up. He was fouling it up, and and our and our guy George Olivo had to say to you, "Why are you Why are you struggling with this?" Because here's the thing: it's one thing; it's almost become sport for people to lie to people like me, journalists. Right. It's 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 almost sport, right? Right. It's a different thing when you're sitting in front of someone as skilled as George, and you're strapped up, and this exam is catching all of, to your point, your physiology, right? 
tapping right. your feet, moving your hands, sweating, capturing all of our physiology. And so, you know, the other thing that I loved about our approach to this is that George Olivo, our examiner, you know, double checked this thing with the algorithm that is built into the system to recalibrate, check all of the data, and then issue results. And then he conferred with a second analyst who did not meet George and Cindy. Uh, our George just fed him the data and the second analyst, FBI trained, confirmed the results. So, you know, I, I, I think we've got this thing as, as cold and locked down as you can get it. We know that they're 85 to 90% reliable. Uh, all of the variables are, are understood at this point. And the experienced, legitimate polygraph examiner will absolutely go through the questions. Right? right. Will right. go through. You're not surprised. And so if you're shown to be deceptive, it's because in all likelihood you're deceptive. So what were their legal consequences if they had failed this were, you, were they aware of that and what position did you find yourself in in having to make an ethical decision well look i i think yeah i think the first part of your question is answered with a yeah and i think everyone in that room was aware of it and cindy said on camera in front of everyone look he's got to get this right there could be implications for our lives he could go to jail, right? So there is a whole potential legal process that plays out if the results come back badly for George, right? Now, right. now specifically, I don't know what that means beyond, I would think it would be just a new inquiry, right? It would be right. it would be the authorities calling him and saying, look, we, we got to have a conversation with you, right? I think they right. were all aware of that. And so again, in terms of, how pressurized the situation was, if you're gonna sit in front of a, of a polygraph examiner as, as skilled as George Olivo, you have to believe the, the truth is on your side. And if you know that if you were found to be deceptive, you're going to face some very serious questions from the authorities. Um, there was, you know, we talk about risk in television all the time. People, audiences love when there are real risks, not trumped up reality TV risks, but real risks to life, limb, and freedom on the line, uh, all of that was present in, in the two hours of this special, and all of it was present in the four days that I spent with it. What about, you know, again, I say your gut is very seasoned. I'm not sure. I, I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying, dude, you've been doing this I've for been a doing long it time. <laughs> Your guts, you know, not a rookie. Yeah. Let's just say. Yeah. What was your, where did you go on this journey? Did okay. you, you had, you have to come in skeptical. Yes, you have to, you have to. So here's, here's the journey for me. I dig in on the research side of it. And um, look, I, I know what I know. I know what the facts are saying that the only proven liar in this, in this story is Casey. The only one found guilty of not telling the truth in the story is Casey. Now her parents are saying, we're gonna put that to the test. We know that to be true, that the only one who's been lying and not being truthful is our daughter, Casey. And we're willing to do 
whatever you suggest might be helpful in us clearing our names to make that case. I also know that that Casey wouldn't do, couldn't do, couldn't pass what her mom and her dad did, the test that they took. She couldn't pass it, right? Right. I, I, I know that. But I also know it is that there were mistakes made by Cindy and George. Right. We like you said why. about. And like, we need to know why. Did you ask why did you look up chloroform? Her story has always been her story that that she did it. Um, she wasn't doing it. She was curious because she had heard theories of the case. Right. And so she wanted to explore it for herself. And that story hasn't changed in all these years, 14, 15 years later, hasn't changed, you know, um, but I knew that it was going to be a bone of contention. But in, in devising the questions, you can ask every question, right? Or you can ask the questions that are on point, on the mark, that really cut to truth and falsity. George. Did you have anything to do with the concealment of your granddaughter's body or in the story that was told? Did you molest and your daughter for four years repeatedly? Because if if he comes back deceptive in those questions, now you know why the authorities would want to have a conversation. Right. Um, for Cindy, Cindy, did George, because no one believes because of, of Cindy's actions in the main, no one believes that Cindy had anything to do with the death of Caleb. But the question for her is, did your husband reveal any information that cuts to the question of concealment? It's the old, what did you know and when did you know and it? When did you know it? So those um, are the real pivotal questions. So that's what we zeroed in on. But I think they would both say, you know, there were things that they did that, that, left open, left them open to a lot of suspicion. Right. So you're one of the things I found really interesting, and that just because I know TV, um, you you come into a situation where they're doing something that they want to do, but they're not warm and welcoming, and there's moments where they almost seemed hostile. For example, when they're watching the interview with, and... Cindy asked and George asked if they could change the seating. Now, I know and you know it's set up for lighting. But when someone's in this situation, you want them to take, be able, if they want, you want them to be comfortable to look and watch. And your producer says no. As in your job, you have to be of two minds. One is you want it to look good. It's actually three minds. Two, you doing your job want the most compelling reactions, and that might be by changing the angle. And so you're looking at it. But three, as a professional, you also want it to look really good. Yes. What, yes. And, and Cindy says flat out, no. We yes. are moving this. And then you didn't. Why did you leave that in? I found that to be a really interesting choice, right? Choice. Yeah. yeah. And why did they why did you guys fight back to not move the the configuration and why did they acquiesce to not moving it? 
I know it's a very technical question no, no, for people no, yeah, who aren't in our but, business. But, but 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 here's the real human response to that. All of that was about pressure, stakes, um, and and it expresses itself in all kinds of ways. For me, that was evidence of just how pressurized the situation was for for Cindy and for George. We had gone through the setup. She knew what the setup was. Um, I think she 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 wanted better angles. I think maybe even to see George's reaction a little bit better, right? Right. Um, because it, it, you saw the piece, and there there's unbelievable side eye <laughs> at various times in the two hours. The, the, the reason that, you know, we didn't acquiesce was not out of we're producers and we're, we're, we're tough people. Is we just explained to them that technically this was the best setup because we had to accomplish three things. We had to get angles that incorporated the television, the viewing. Right. Right. And, and angles that, that, that worked for them on the set in the on the couches, me in a chair, television set so that we can all see it. So that's the that's the piece of it that that no one cares about. But what people need to understand is that that is how you can't you can't always predict the way tension and pressure is expressed and displays itself. And and for me, that was just an example of how pressurized the situation. I know I keep using that word. I'll find a different word. But but the the tension that was in the room. And my demeanor has to be one where I'm level, where yeah, I'm not you, engaging. I can't you engage. Stay, you you don't flinch. But I, I, I think it was an interesting decision to leave it in. And I didn't really think about it from the point of view of showing the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So I look at it as a producer and go, okay, we don't want to, you know. Yeah. And, and that's that's an that's why I was curious about the choice on that. Did you you had to have walked away from this exhausted <laughs> because you not only have to ask the questions, you have to make them feel comfortable enough to be honest. And there are times that you show that physically, like during the lie detector, that Cindy's trying to hold your hand. Yes. 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 Um. Where do you, and I always know it's so hard, where do you separate where part of it is you see this mother going through hell and you're a warm person that you don't want to just like reach over and be like, look, I know this is hard. You're going to be okay. And yet here's this woman so even physically crying out for a connection. Look, part of the answer is I like Cindy. She is tough as nails. If you're ever in a jam, you want Cindy Anthony in your corner fighting with you. It is intense. She is intense. That they've done 42 years together (laughs) is remarkable. Okay. But God love them. Uh, I, I, I said to someone... She's got terrier, pit bull, whatever you want, Rottweiler in her. And she was absolutely determined 
to get some answers from her daughter, even if it meant giving her rope, pulling her in, giving her a little more line and pulling her in. Uh, so, and for me, as I'm sitting there, I felt it immediately. I, I felt the stakes immediately when I walked in the house. I was struck by how small, relatively speaking, the house is, but it's a modest home, right? Um, I was struck by all of the pictures, the memorabilia about this family. Like you said, shrine. House. Yeah, it's a shrine. And and the other side of it is that George doesn't want it. George doesn't want it. He's reminded of the way his daughter treated his granddaughter and the way his daughter threw him under the bus. He's reminded of it on a daily basis. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want the shrine. He doesn't want it. He, he doesn't want it. So if, if you're talking about how I get through that, I didn't get through it very well. I was looking over at Carrie, who did such a wonderful job at sort of helping me sort of navigate all of this. And, and, and we had a great conversation after I got back to New York. And, and I said I was messed up. I was really messed up because I, I, I knew I was walking into something that was difficult, but I hadn't done true crime in this way for a minute. And as we talked about before, when you're talking through the most horrid details of a family's life, the worst days, weeks, months, years of their life, and you're bringing all of that back to the surface, if you're an empathetic person in any way, and I, I, I think that I am, then you, you have to start to wear that to get inside of the story, to produce the moments that you see in those two hours. So I walked out of that completely, to your point, exhausted, wiped out, angry that, you know, I thought Kaylee was going to get lost in this. Our production team did an amazing job in making sure that Kaylee was centered in the piece, uh, which made me feel a hundred times better than when I walked out of there. What is the one thing that we don't know that you walked away with from this project? Like, I'm thinking... Because obviously it's a marriage in crisis and obviously their lives are, you know, incredibly difficult. But in a way, thinking about it, I'm like, this might be a marriage in crisis, but somehow they have figured out how to stay together. Look, Melissa, here's what here's one of the big takeaways for me. I just want people in their families, in their family life, not to ignore red flags and warning signs. There were plenty of when I talk about you know, things that the Anthony's would maybe like to have over again. There were so many warning signs. There were so many red flags that, that Casey was, we parents use this term off track. <laughs> right. And, and for whatever reason, they never kind of got to the root of it. Um, and I just would want families to sort of pay more attention to what's going on under the roof of their homes. I, I said a couple of times that I wish the walls of this house could talk. If the walls could speak, what they would really say about life in this home, because I, I just think, you know, it's it's it was such complete, uh, such a complete breakdown and the dysfunction was everywhere. And, and I and I know that George and Cindy and particularly Cindy would disagree with that. But from the outside looking in, I just feel like um, you know, if there's a takeaway from it, it's for families to cleave even closer to their kids. And, you know, no one wants to be a helicopter parent. That's not great for raising children. But there were some real warning signs out there that Casey was off track in a significant way. And and there were moments when an intervention would have been really helpful or even more of an intervention would have 
you know, maybe have produced a different outcome. I, I think that's the big takeaway. Yeah, there were moments in the interview and, and you see it in the special where I asked them both, is the marriage going to survive all of this? And they both said at different times, no. Right. But I, I think ultimately they are so joined at the hip on this. They've been together for so long. I think they'll figure out a way to make it work, you know, uh, the rest of the way for their personal journey. But I think that's the big takeaway. I mean, I, I think they've got a daughter who is highly troubled. Um, and and I, I don't know what's going on in her head, what her psychology is, why she did things she did. But I will, will tell you what, and I don't know if I should say this, but Carrie's right here. She'll tell me not to say it. But I mean, what was clear is I had a conversation with our guy, George Olivo. And, you know, one thing that he said to me is everyone thinks this is the, the first time something like this has happened where... You know, where it's possible, probable, likely that a, you know, a parent killed a child, took the life of a child because they wanted a different life. He says, look, none of this is new. It's happened before. And he pointed to a couple of examples, Susan Smith being chief among them. Um, so, you know, I, I just think the idea of intervening and being a, a constant presence in your kid's life and letting them know that they're safe harbor with you as parents is so important and I hope folks take that away from the two hours. So other than looking for another one of Al Capone's safes that we didn't know about so you can try and open it live on TV, what are you planning to do next? There's well, like three people there's like three people in the world who will understand that that joke. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The two, what the two you, are more on this call. Right, right. Exactly. What are you what are you working on next? Look, I'm always looking for a, a terrific story to, to dive into. And I know that the folks here at A&E, you know, are really happy with the results of this, that, you know, tune in was really great and the streaming numbers are really good on it. So I think there's always an opportunity to, to do something else. If people have, have demonstrated that they're willing to watch something that is as meaty and comprehensive as that. Um, you know, I'm in the I'm in the A&E family now. And as you know, I've got the proof is out there on A&E's History Channel. And I think I can announce it now. It's okay. The, the ink is dry on it. I'm going to be doing a separate show for uh, the History Channel that will start shooting in a couple of weeks. And that'll be out at some point in 2024. So I'm busy. About I'm what? Oh, it's, it's, it's history's most shocking moments. Oh. That, that, that's going to be, that's going to be I'm, fun. That's going to I'm be very, being a history major, I'm very, very jealous. Um, Melissa, it's going to be straight fire. Hear it, hear it from me right now. Believe it later. It's going to be well. I'm going to see if fun. I can start some sort of a random online war with you, so yes, I can please. take that job. So please. I can. They have to give me your job. Please, uh, it, it's Casey, a busy year for me. Casey Anthony's parents. The lie detector test now airing on A and E. Tony, hurry up and do something else so that we can come back to the show again and talk about it. Let's do it. It's always great to be with you. Thanks for the time, Melissa. Ahura Media Production.